Good morning. It's a beautiful day. Good to see everyone with us. We do have visitors. We want to thank you for being with us today. And we invite you to come back and be with us if ever you can. We're going to, this morning, open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 together. And we're going to study from this text, this great text of Hall of Famers, if you will. Biblical Hall of Famers. And we're going to talk about faith being the victory. Uh, this may be the first of several lessons along this same line. This morning we're going to look more at a general concept of the power of faith in the life of a believer. And we're going to be using Moses as our example from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 beginning. But uh, we do want to welcome everyone and... As we study these things, if you have any questions at all about anything that's said, anything that you see practiced, we'd be more than glad to do what we can to give you a Bible answer. We want to follow God's Word here. We want to do what God says, what God uh, has revealed to us, and that we know will please Him. We're not about pleasing people, we're about pleasing the Lord. And by pleasing the Lord, we will be pleasing to one another. We'll be closer to in fellowship. Cameron was talking this morning before services you know, what, what are we going to do if numbers keep dropping off, you know, and people are not interested in the truth in the world anymore? Preach the truth anyway, right? Just keep on teaching the truth. Keep on trusting God's Word. That's all we can do. Just continue to follow Him faithfully. And, yeah, I, I believe that if we are doing what the Lord would have us to do, then, yes, that we will reach those who are honest and those who are sincere. Hebrews chapter 11 is indeed talking about the faithful men of the past. You know, we made this comment the other, the other evening. In our study, as we were going through the book of Romans, we were talking about the subject or the concept of faith and how these great men of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 kind of seem like superheroes to, to us, you know? They seem like people that are, you know, a life, they have a life that's unattainable. For us, we, we, we don't see ourselves like them. But I want to remind you that all of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 are human beings just like you and me. What made them special is they simply trusted God. They trusted God so much that even in spite of all appearances to the contrary, they still did what God said in order to achieve what God had promised them. And that's the kind of faith that we also can have. Moses is one of the examples in verses 23 through 29. Previously in Hebrews chapter 3, Moses is held up as being one who was faithful in all his house. Of course, comparing him to Jesus, who is also faithful to God in all of his house. And of course, Jesus being superior than Moses. That's the, one of the major points in the book of Hebrews. But the point is, Moses was indeed faithful in all of his house. Moses did what the Lord said. He was a servant of the Most High God. This morning, I want to just simply point out some lessons from this text as being great illustrations of how we can be victorious in our own lives through faith. We can be victorious over the world. And that's exactly what 1 John chapter 5 talks about. 
What is it that gives us the victory over the world? Our faith. That's what is required if we're going to be victorious. And we know that we can be victorious because all of these people in Hebrews 11 were indeed victorious. Including Moses. Beginning in verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Let's see who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Now in this short reading, we're going to notice several lessons and several important points that I think can be beneficial to us. And let us think about these things together. First of all, the first verse, verse 23, talks about by faith Moses, but it's really talking about the faith of his parents. The faith of Moses' parents, remember Pharaoh had issued a decree that all the babies born to the Hebrews were to be killed. Amram and Jochved decided they're not going to fear the king in this regard. And they did what they needed to do to preserve the life of their newborn child, whom they named Moses. So she made this ark of bulrushes and she put him in the Nile River. They thought of him. He was beautiful to them, and they thought of him as being special. Now, the the idea of beautiful isn't just that, oh, he's such a cute little baby. They valued him, just as we're told in Psalm 127, verse 3, that children are a heritage of the Lord, a blessing. That's the way they saw Moses, a gift of God. And someone to be valued. You know, today, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a place, in a country, where life in general is not valued. And and women are murdering their own children. We need to recognize the value of children, the value of life itself. Egypt, the world, did not value life. The people of God, the people who trust God, value life. They did not fear the royal command. You know, we are instructed in Scripture to submit to the government. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. We're to submit to the governing authorities. But you know, whenever a governing authority tells us to do something that is sinful in the sight of God, what must we say? No. I must obey God rather than men. And that's exactly what this faithful couple did. And Jochved remained involved in Moses' life, even after, of course, she remember Moses was found, in Exodus chapter 2, he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. And so she took him, and she was going to raise him, and of course, Miriam, Moses' sister, 
was watching over Moses, and she went to Pharaoh's daughter and offered help and assistance, and in fact involved Moses' mother, and Moses' mother was then hired by the daughter of Pharaoh to take care of Moses. And so she was able to raise him up. She was still invested and interested in the, in the growth of the child. But listen, it's not just his material growth. Uh, Jochebed wasn't so concerned about his learning and education from an Egyptian perspective or even from a Hebrew perspective as far as secular knowledge is concerned. How do you think Moses came to know and understand that he was a Hebrew and that when he saw that Egyptian beating that Hebrew, that he then defended his own brothers. It says he went to visit, when he was of age, he went to visit his brethren. He had been taught some things about, uh, about his people and where he had come from. And no question about God himself because he made a choice, a conscience choice to turn his back on Pharaoh and all that was provided in his house to serve the living God. Where do you think he got that faith from? Much like Timothy, right? Timothy's mother and grandmother had taught him the scripture while he was still a young man. And he had obtained like precious faith. Same is true with Moses here. I think that's clearly inferred in the text. We need parents today who place trust in God's provisions and promises and in God's Word. Too many parents let the world raise their children. Too many parents allow the schools to teach their children. They allow the neighbors to watch over their children. Too many parents forsake their responsibility to train up the child in the way that he should go. We need parents who are determined to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Even if the circumstances around us are not beneficial to that. Listen, we live in a society where our children are being taught all kinds of things in school that are, unscript, that are unholy, that are evil. We've got to counteract that. We're, our children are being brought up in a world where everywhere you turn, it's evil. Even on television, right? And I'm not just talking about HBO or Cinemax or you know, some of these other adult-type broadcasts. I'm talking about Disney. I'm talking about some of the... You know, they're being taught principles that are contrary to the Word of God in some instances. We have to counteract that. We need to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Listen, Moses' mother brought him up and taught him he was living in Pharaoh's house. That's as worldly as you can get. But she did what she could to instruct him and to guide him and generate faith in his heart. We need parents who are going to do exactly what the Lord would have them to do, bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 the law of Moses indicates and demands that parents are to always have God's Word in front of their children. When they get up in the morning, when they go to bed at night, on the doorpost of their house, everywhere they turn in their house, they should see something speaking of God. 
Everywhere they turn, when they look at their parents, they need to see parents that are faithful to God. They need to see parents who are unwilling to miss a worship assembly with the saints in order to go to a ball game or to go do something recreational with the family. They see parents who are faithful to the Lord. Everywhere they turn, they need to see consistency in their parents, in their parents' faith. How beneficial would that be if parents were as faithful as they ought to be in the raising of their children, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Discipline. Children need to be disciplined. Now, when I say discipline, I don't simply mean whipping them. I saw yesterday... A headline in, uh, in one of the magazines that uh, came out this past week. One of the headlines was, Spanking children has finally been completely eradicated in the United States. And I thought, well, I don't know where this fellow's been living. But, uh, I mean, generally there, there are places where that's simply not done. Uh, we were talking just, just yesterday about... Uh, you know, back when I was in school, yeah, when I was, that's a long time ago, but when I was in school, our principal, one principal, his name was Coach Reed, that's all I knew about, Coach Reed, football coach, he had a paddle that was this long, I kid you not, this much of it was a handle that he could grab it with both hands, it was this wide, about this thick, it's three quarter inch thick, had an inch and a quarter holes drilled in it. And he would grab that thing with both hands. He would make you put your hands on the desk. Yeah, I know personally. I'm sorry, but I, I must confess I experienced this. I had to put my hands on his desk. And he reared back with both hands, swung it like a baseball bat, and my feet came up off the floor. That used to happen, young people. Really, principals used to do that. Another principal, Principal Harris, he whipped us with a razor strap and a bar that came from a barbershop. That's what he had that he spanked, spanked students with when they came to see him. And you know what? Students didn't go see principals very often back in those days. They didn't want to. You don't see that anymore. Parents, listen, when I was, when I was in school all those years ago, if I went to the principal's office and I got a pallet, when I got home I got another whooping and it was a whole lot worse than what Coach Reed could have given me. Didn't forget it. Nowadays, kids get sent to the principal's office. They get in trouble. The principal can't do anything about it except call his parents. The parents come up there and they curse out the principal. That's the way things are today. Our children need discipline. They need to learn respect. They need to learn it first and foremost in the home because the schools can't do it anymore. Discipline. But that, of course, is accompanied by teaching and instilling in them certain principles. The principles of God. And they need to be raised. And yes, spanking is taught, talked about in the Scripture quite frequently. Proverbs 13, 24, 19, 18, 22, 6, and 23, 13. Yes. If you beat a, rod, beat a child with a rod, he will not die. And you just may save his soul from death. Yes, the Bible talks about that. Children need to realize that doing wrong brings about pain. They need to learn that. 
We need parents of faith today, don't we? Secondly, in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age. Now, he's making his own decisions. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he came of age, when he became an adult. You know, there, there is, in fact, on the radio broadcast this past week, got a question about where in the Bible does it talk about an age of accountability? Because you may hear someone talk about that. Well, when they become accountable before the Lord, when they reach that age of accountability, I don't know when that age is for every child. I do know that there comes a point in time in which a person becomes accountable for his own actions. He, is, he has reached the ability to discern, not just discerning, you know, knowing right from wrong, per se, but I mean understanding and feeling guilt and having the guilt of that wrong. Understanding that it is sinful, that it is indeed wrong. And that you need something done about it because it's, the guilt is weighing on you. When he came of age, here's a passage that emphasizes or talks about this concept. When he became, a bit with the, became old enough to choose for himself. You know, young people do not have the ability to make life-altering choices on their own. Not while they're children. We see that with the laws of the land, don't we? We have, we have laws restricting, restricting children under the age of 18 from buying tobacco products. Why? Because our government understands that under that age, you know, kids, I don't care how much they think they know, I don't care how much, how smart they think they are. They're still dumb. They don't know what they think they know. So we need to realize, yes, parents are responsible for children until they become able to choose for themselves. And Moses became of age. And he chose this for himself. When he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus 2 and verse 11. Moses made a mature choice. He went out to visit his brethren. And as he went out, he, he made a choice to align himself with the Hebrews rather than with, his, with, the, with the Egyptians. He saw that Egyptian beating his brother. That's the way he saw him. And he killed the Egyptian. When that became known, he fled. But he made a choice. With maturity comes greater responsibility. When he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in doing so, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You see, he could have stayed in that house as Pharaoh's daughter's son and perhaps even had the throne someday. And all the riches, all the prosperity that came with that, all the power and prestige could have been his. He made a choice. He chose, rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God. 
You know, there's something that we do, we do need to understand. That when we are serving Satan, the world treats us well. Satan treats us well. Satan gives us stuff. He makes following him feel comfortable. He helps us to think that while we're following him, we're in a good, good place. But in reality, it is a place of destruction. In reality, it is a place where we will eventually be destroyed and be held accountable for serving the world and serving Satan. And then we will find ourselves with Satan for all eternity. Moses chose to forsake the world and he chose suffering with the people of God. Following God has always been hard. It has always been difficult. You go through the examples in Hebrews chapter 11. Every, even starting with Abel. Serving God cost him his life. Noah. Think of that. Noah was the only righteous man on the whole planet. That was not easy. It's never been easy serving God. Moses made a choice. To serve God and be ridiculed by his friends. Or to be with his friends and ridicule the people of God. That's really the choice he made. And that's, uh, that's a choice he made that because of his faith. He would suffer with, with the people of God. What would many think of his choice? They would think he's rather dumb. Don't you think? Wouldn't the world, just looking at Moses, well, that was a foolish choice. Moses, you threw away all that wealth for what? To wander in the... Well, first of all, you had to go to, to Midian. And while you were over there, you, you served as a shepherd. And look what you gave up to be a shepherd. And then you come back and, and, and you know, yeah, you did all these wonderful signs and stuff. But then, you, as you led the children of God into the wilderness, all they did was murmur and complain. That wasn't easy. That was a hardship on Moses right there. Serving God was not easy. The worldly people would think he was nuts. Choosing to follow the Lord takes faith. Right? It takes faith. It takes trust in God. It takes conviction that God is God. It takes trust that God will do what he says. And it takes submission because you believe that God is God. And he'll do what he says. So choosing to follow the Lord takes faith. Enter in by the straight gate. That's a choice that we have to make. Now that straight gate is difficult. That's what that idea is. It's hard. Or you can choose the wide gate that everybody goes through. It's easy. But if we want to have life in Christ... We have to choose that narrow gate and follow that straight way. And life will be the end of the road. Even knowing that persecution is going to come, Acts 14 and verse 22. 
2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We, we make that same choice. The pleasures of sin are short-lived. My friend, whatever you can have in this world, whether it be popularity, whether it be enjoyment of some sinful activity, whatever it may be, listen, it is short. It is very short. Even if you live to be 110 years old and you lived it up in the world, when you got to that 110 and you died, it's all gone. And so is your soul. Eternally separated from God. Moses made a wise choice. Wouldn't you say? He made a wise choice. He chose the suffering with the people of God than the pleasures, the passing pleasures of sin. You want to know who's really wise? No, long-term investments. And, of course, there is no greater long-term investment than spiritual long-term investments. He esteemed the reproach of Christ as greater, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So he made a comparison. All right? So this is what I get by serving God. This is what I get by not serving God, by staying where I am, by staying in the world with all the material wealth that I could imagine. Okay, I'm going to make a comparison here. Which one's better? Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ as greater. The reproach of Christ. What, what does that mean? Apparently, Moses had an understanding and a comprehension and had been taught by his mother about the promises given to his father Abraham. Through thy seed all nations of the earth should be blessed. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. Apparently Moses had an understanding that there was a Messiah that was to come. And what Moses was willing to do is that he was willing to give himself and to suffer with the people of God in order that God's provision of a Christ be brought about to be, become a reality. He was being used and allowed himself to be used in that regard even though it cost him hardship. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt because he looked at the reward. There was a reward to come. And so much like you know, well, Moses, he was faithful in all of his house. He, he obeyed and did what God commanded. So, he helped deliver the children of Israel out according to God's purpose. And the children of Israel were chosen for a purpose in mind by God. And that was to eventually bring the Messiah into the world. Moses did his part. And he suffered for it. He was faithful. Like Jesus was faithful. In looking to the reward, he recognized the spiritual riches far superior to material riches. Like those of old in Hebrews chapter 11, if you just go up a few verses to verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. We're assured of them, embrace them, 
and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called mind that country from which they had come, come out, they, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's, that's the kind of faith that Moses had. Forget this world. Forget the material blessings that I may have. I, I want the spiritual reward. I want what comes from following God. I want life, salvation. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. You know, you've got a choice to make, and Jesus makes the same exact point. You, you've got a choice. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. So, spiritual riches are seen only through the eyes of faith. Listen, we can't touch them, taste them, feel them. We can't see them with our physical eyes. We can't hear them with our ears. The five senses of our fleshly body cannot pick up and, and grasp these spiritual promises. They have to be seen through the eyes of faith. They have to be observed through the hearing of God's promises. They have to be tasted through our experience in following God's will. The Hebrew writer uses those very expressions in talking about those who have experienced, who have tasted the good word of God. They've experienced the blessings of God. And as we see through the eyes of faith the spiritual things that God has for those who love Him, we hold on to those things and whatever comes in this world, we're willing to let it go so that we may obtain glory. In Hebrews 11 and verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is that which underlies, supports, and upholds our hope. That's what faith is. We hope because we believe God, you see. We believe God and therefore we hope, we understand that whatever He says is true. And we hold on to that. Faith, no one can please God without it. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11. It's impossible to please him without faith. For whosoever cometh to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's accomplished because of our faith in God. We trust him enough to do what he says. We walk by what he says, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by faith means we walk by what God says, not by what he hasn't said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do we look through the eyes of faith and see the things that God has promised us and see them as real? Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, verse 13, that we may also obtain these promises. Hebrews 13, 13. Now, spiritual riches can be seen. And we can see them and we can know them. And they can be... Something is real, to, in fact, more real to us than the material things. And really, 
That's the correct way to see them. Spiritual things are actually what is real, what is true. Whereas all the material things, like the book of Ecclesiastes emphasizes, is just the wind, the dust of the ground. It's just something that is here today and gone tomorrow. Whereas the things of God last forever. Moses looked away from the present material enticements and he focused on God's promises. We can do the same thing. We can by faith reject Satan and we can refuse his influence and all the temptations that he may lay in front of us. We can say no to Satan. We can resist him in the faith. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 through 10. We can say no. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18. You know the armor of God that he gives to us as believers we put that on and we can stand against Satan. We can stand against him in the power of his might. Not ours, but in his might. And we can resist every fiery dart that he throws at us with the shield of faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we can quench every fiery dart that he throws at us through faith? By faith we can resist and we can overcome... And Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3 emphasizes, you know, we have this great cloud of witnesses, right, in Hebrews chapter 11. These men who testify, and women, who testify to the fact, you can do it too. You can be faithful like we were faithful. And then in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We can do the same. Through our focus on Christ and what he's promised to us. Moses forsook Egypt in verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured and as seeing him who is invisible. Moses turned his back on Egypt and all that it offered. Again, he made a conscious choice. He chose to obey God. And there are some commentators who, and there are several different views, well, two in particular. This has reference to him leaving the first time and escaping to Midian. Some believe that it is after he comes back and after the ten plagues and he leads Israel out of Egypt because it's there that he does not fear the king. But that word fear the king, he did not fear the wrath of the king. The idea, I think, is that he chose to obey God and he feared God rather than Pharaoh. That's the concept. Moses chose to obey God and demonstrated his complete lack of respect for Pharaoh's authority over God. He trusted God instead. And that's exactly, you know, what we're told to do. We're told to fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell instead of men. Who, they may take your life. But the idea is that of respect. And so Moses turned his back on Egypt and all that it offered him, and he left. And he respected God and his will in his life. Come out from among them. That, the point is, we can, we can do the same thing. We can say no to the world. We can resist the world. We can forsake the world, not fearing what men may do to us, not fearing what Satan may do to us. 
We can come out from among them and be separate. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, verse 1. Listen, we cannot be a godly influence in this world if we are like the world. So many churches today are trying as hard as they can to be like the world so that they can draw people of the world. But you can't draw, you cannot draw people of the world with worldliness and expect them to become godly. It doesn't work that way. The only way that we can be a true light for God in this world is to truly be a light and be different from the world. We must fear God and not men. And through our faith, look to God regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our hardships and our sufferings. Trust Him. Moses kept the Passover. He persuaded the Hebrews to keep the Passover in verse 28. The Passover was lamb was killed on the 14th day of the first month, the month of the sun. And the blood was sprinkled on the doorpost. Remember that, that evening and as the children of Israel did what God said because that 10th plague was coming. And all the firstborn were going to be slain. But those who had the blood over the doorpost and on the lintel of that sacrificial lamb the angel of death would pass over that house. That's why it was called the Passover. And the children of Israel were delivered from Egyptian bondage that night. But Moses kept the Passover because he trusted God. And this is something that they continued to do as God's people. The tenth plague was brought upon Egypt. All the males, firstborn males, died. Except for the house where the blood was applied. And we need faith enough to obey the Lord today in our worship and our service and Jesus Christ who is our Passover. His blood is applied to us when we by faith submit to Him as Lord. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are by faith baptized in the Christ. We contact the blood. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? There's the blood. And we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And we must continue to worship and follow the Lord. And Moses had enough faith in God to serve and to obey him when he said, do something. We need to do the same. And then in verse 29, finally he guided the children of Israel through the Red Sea. As it says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You see, they could not say themselves, God had to provide the way. He does the same thing today. God has provided the way through Jesus Christ. That way, that is the grace of God, that way is made available to all. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The question is, will you take it? Will you take what God has provided for you? Will you receive it the way that God has told you to? You see, the children of Israel had to follow Moses as he led them through the Red Sea. And he led them all the way across to the other side on dry land. And as they got to the other side, they turned around and he lowered his staff. And the waters came back and destroyed those who were following them, the Egyptians. God saved them that day. 
In fact, Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 makes that very point. That took faith. It takes faith for us to do what God says. To trust Him enough to yield to His will. You know, Jesus commands us. He tells us to follow Him. We must follow Him in obedience to the Father. We must follow Him in the way that we live our life. We are to follow our Master. When Jesus says, for example, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, I need to believe that. Someone says, I love Jesus. Oh, I believe Jesus, but I don't think i got to be baptized. What does that tell you? That person really, really doesn't believe Jesus. Because Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. The people believed Moses enough to follow him where he went. God provided the way. They were saved from bondage. Same is true today. When we follow God's will, we too are saved from bondage. And interesting, in 1 Corinthians and the 10th chapter, verses 1 through 11, we have this illustration compared to the life of the Christian, to the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about how they were all baptized under the cloud and under the, uh, in the sea, unto Moses. Well, we are baptized unto Christ, into Christ. We are joined with Christ in baptism. Then we are raised to walk in the newness of life. Then we must continue to follow Jesus Christ. Just like they were to continue to follow Moses. But with many of them, God was not well pleased because they rejected. They turned away from Moses. They rejected the law of God. And they all fell in the wilderness who came out of Egypt except for two. And of course, those who were 20 years and below. And those who rejected the promised land in Numbers chapter chapter 14, every one of them was destroyed in the wilderness. We must follow Christ. He is the one by which we are made free, and He is the one that we must follow. And by doing that, of course, we will also impact others, right? We, we need to realize that our faith is seen in those around us. We are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So, the faith of Moses... He began with his faithful parents. They had enough faith in God to preserve their son. And then they continued to provide for him and taught him the things of God. Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Said, nope, I'm going to suffer the affliction with the people of God. And I'm going to submit to God's call for me to lead this people out of the land of Egypt. He forsook Egypt. He kept the Passover. He led them through the Red Sea and gave them the law of God. A great example of faith. How can we be victorious over the world? By following the same type of faith that Moses had. You know, certainly it's helpful to have faithful parents, but I'll tell you, it's not necessary for you to have faithful parents for you to be faithful yourself. That's very helpful. And as parents, you need to be faithful and you need to teach your children because it sure is a whole lot easier. But we need to have faithful parents, don't we? And we need 
people who have faith enough to reject Satan's influence in their life and to say, no, I'm not going to be called a son of Satan anymore. I'm going to be associating myself with the people of God. I can, I'm going to leave the world behind. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to say no to sin and temptation. I'm going to live a godly, holy life. I'm going to obey my God. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to worship and serve Him as He has called me to. I'm going to be the Christian that God wants me to be. You know what? Faith gives me the victory over the world. And I can be what God wants me to be. And I can also lead others to salvation. I can help others, teach them the truth. Have we allowed faith to be the power within us to overcome the world? Or have we neglected our faith? Neglected that which even generates faith in us. That is, neglecting the Word of God. That's where faith comes from, right? Romans 10, 17. Spiritual growth is necessary, and all of that is accomplished through our faith. What kind of faith do you have this morning, my friend? I, I want you to seriously consider that. If you want to be victorious over this world, if you want to be victorious over Satan, and if you want to have everlasting life with God, you need faith. You need it. And if we can help you, we want to. And if you need to obey the gospel this morning, if you need to be baptized into Christ by faith, become a child of God this morning. If we can help you, won't you come while we stand?